Welcome to the podcast from St. Paul's with St. Barnabas Church. For more information, please go to stpauls.co.uk. in the church Bibles. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, is only, sorry, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into this world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Um, Mr. Ken Hobbs will be joining us on stage with a briefcase, I believe, full no, of no, tricks. No. <laughs> but um, let's just open in prayer. Father, we just bring Ken before you. Father, thank you for his preparation. Thank you for his wisdom. We pray that you fill him with your Holy Spirit. May every word that comes out of his mouth be from you. May we hear everything that you want to say to us today, Jesus, and help us apply it to our lives. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Let let me add my welcome this morning, and to also all of you watching at home. Um, As Jem said, my name's Ken, and I represent JurassicMinistries.com. Well, looking at the time, we're doing pretty well. Uh, I don't know how you get on with long sermons, or long prayers, or long readings. John 6 is all about Jesus as the bread of life, and we can't understand the story of the feeding of the 5,000 without reference to the whole of the chapter, and you'll hear that in just a moment. I like stories, as you know. And uh, do you remember the story of the vicar who preached a very, very long sermon on the minor prophets? And as vicars do, he went on and on and on. And then he came, he continued like this. He leaned over the pulpit and said, and now we come to the prophet Amos. What place shall we give to the prophet Amos? A man stood up in the front row and said, he can have my place, I'm going home. (laughs) 
I want us to look into, deeply into, briefly but deeply into John chapter 6. Now people have a view about the Bible of course, that it's an old black book like this. And if you look at it, you know, there's nothing in it. But actually, um, we know better than that. We know better than that. Unless we take the story of the feeding of the 5,000, there's a lot to it. But we know better than that. Because we know that if we get deeply into the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's alive with color and application. And you thought there was nothing in it. And one other rhetorical question, I've said this to one or two people beforehand, and I just said that's you, you just Ken being Ken. Um, what was on the menu at the feeding of the 5,000? And you will tell me, fish and bread. I want to suggest this morning that there is more to the story and more to the menu than just fish and bread involving the whole chapter. Crowds fascinate. They demonstrate enthusiasm, euphoria, anger, tribalism, if you're a football person, commitment, expectation, hopes and dreams. This is a press cutting from July the 16th, 1997. The headline is, The Feeding of the 4,000. Golden oldies take tea with the Queen. That was her golden wedding. In the Gospels, as we know, there are six accounts of two large-scale lunches, the 5,000 and the 4,000, mass catering on a grand scale, and almost certainly on two different occasions. All four Gospels record the feeding of the 5,000, and Matthew and Mark refer to the 4,000. The frequent mention of these events confirms the reliability of them and the impact they made on those who participated in them. And we've seen in this series on John's Gospel, this term, that the literal and the spiritual go hand in hand, as we saw a couple of weeks ago with Harry in John chapter 4 and the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. The literal water and the living water. Now there are obvious lessons in the story of the, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus meets people's needs and uses the little that we bring, as we had in our prayer. The disciples come with a supply problem, and Jesus said, you do it with what you've got. I've had the privilege, as you know, many of you have traveling a great deal, and I've snorkeled in the Caribbean, the Red Sea, and the Great Barrier Reef. If you watch Simon Reeves' Wilderness series, you've seen him cycling, um, snorkeling in the Coral Triangle. And what we can do, if you do that sort of thing, and it's particularly obvious in certain contexts, incidentally, the Red Sea particularly so, the shoreline is drab and dry. But go before the waterline and it becomes alive. And in John's Gospel, there's a direct connection between events like the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus teaching of himself in John chapter 6 as the bread of life. And I commend the whole chapter to you. So let's look at this idea of Jesus, the generosity of God, Jesus, the bread of life, in his teaching about himself, and using the simple illustration of bread. Now, many years ago, when Sainsbury's in North Cheam opened, I was doing a sermon on the bread of life as it happened, and I went round, and I, with a clipboard, 
recording all the different types of bread. It's a long list then, it's an even longer list now. What was amusing was the members of the public who came up to me when I had this clipboard asking me for shopping advice. I suggested to life groups, if you're looking at this, you play a game with your life group. Go around the room saying different types of bread and see who the first person uh, to drop out and the last person standing or sitting. Something briefly about the context of this story. Geographical context, first of all. The lakeside ministry at Capernaum, just down the road from Nazareth. I always say at this time, this is about real places, real people, real history, real time, and a real saviour. Jesus is in home country. Hence the question in John's account, if you read the John chapter 6, they say, is this not Jesus, whose father and mother we know? So Jesus is playing at home and not away. And unlike football, it's harder as a Christian to play at home. The geographical context. Then the biblical context. Early on in Jesus' ministry, we understand, connected with other events like walking on the water. Both were immensely significant for the disciples, and the crowd asked questions. Verse 14, chapter 6. Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Although not recorded by John, the other three gospel writers, in referring to the walking on the water, you get the question or the comment, what sort of person is this, that even the winds and waves obey him? There's also biblically an, an Old Testament, if you like, reenactment of the story of the distribution of manna in the wilderness. And in response to all these questions, John reports that Jesus says he is the bread of life. Geographical context, biblical context, and then a spiritual context as well. The debate goes on in the Gospels to Jesus. Who are you? What is going on? And the key issues in this text and across the Gospels is Jesus' identity, who is he? Jesus' mission, why did he come? And Jesus' call, what does he ask? And in John's account, it is the people themselves who begin asking these questions. Again in chapter 6, verse 41, they grumble and question, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? The potential charge of cannibalism obscured the difference between the physical and the spiritual. And at the end of the chapter, they say, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? The central part of the story, as recorded by John in chapter 6, is Jesus' controversial and dramatic statement, I am the bread of life. So back to our opening rhetorical question, what was on the menu, the spiritual menu? Of course, the actual menu was two courses. I have to tell you this story. The Church Times runs a caption competition. You may not have heard of the Church Times. It's a very august journal, the Church Times. And it advertises clergy jobs. I see the Rector of Ashton job has just come up. Am I right in saying that? Who knows? Who knows? But the caption was, you had a competition. It was showed a priest dressed, as you can see there, dressed, blessing at a chip shop, actually, in the original. This happens to be a fish shop, but basically a chip shop. Uh, complete with arms raised and wearing a white alb, and we're invited to send in entries. The winner gets a, a bar of divine hot cho chocolate. I sent in an entry, Friar Tuck. It didn't win. The winner was along the lines of the priest giving the blessing, the peace of cod. 
In John chapter 6, I want to suggest to you now, briefly, there is a four-course meal. We get more clues and more evidence from John than we do in the other writers. They record the facts. John records the meaning. And here are four gifts in the form of these four courses from our generous God. And the first one is the promise or the gift of satisfaction. Now, the aging rockers among you will see the group at the top. As the Rolling Stones put it, I can't get no satisfaction. But Jesus said, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Echoes of John 4 at the well, living water, springing up to everlasting life. He fills the void that exists in so many lives in our time, concealed by multi-car and microwave-driven materialism and a modern lifestyle. You know, success and happiness have a very limited shelf life. The manor only lasted like French baguettes for one day. He said in verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. The aging rockers among us will remember this. Queen's Freddie Mercury in the Miracle Album sings this. Does anybody know what we are living for? Despite fame, fortune, and millions of followers, he admitted in an interview in 1991, just before his death, he said this, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man, and that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and wealth, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. The promise of satisfaction because in Christ alone my hope is found. That's the first course. The second course is a promise of sanctuary. Verse 37, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. We live in a world of pressure and rootlessness. Look at the group at the top. This sermon rocks. The Beatles, all the lonely people, where do they come from? All the lonely people, where do they belong? And people are looking for acceptance, for welcome. We tend to have a fear of rejection. The disciples said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Monica was a mother who despaired of her teenage prodigal son, a runaway, drunken, promiscuous young man. Eventually, he found what he was looking for, peace with God. He found sanctuary. His name was Augustine, Bishop of Hippo in North Africa, who famously said, Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. And there are, you know, contemporary runaways. Twenty years ago, Margaret and I went to an event in Guildford, hosted by Rob Parsons and the charity, the Christian charity Care for the Family. It was called Bringing Home the Prodigals. It was a nationwide tour. There was one in Croydon. And at the event, the story of the prodigal son was told and thought about, etc. And at the end, we were invited to write names on a slip of paper of people in our family or among our friends or our neighbours or our workplaces who were runaways. And we brought them to the cross and put them in a bowl. There were hundreds of people in the big centre in Guildford. 
At the end of the, of the event, we were invited to come to the front and randomly take one of those bits of paper. They were only the first names. And I think on the piece of paper that I picked up, there were four names on it. Margaret picked up a piece of paper with 12 names on it. And the commitment was to pray for a month for those people. We have the world of runaways. The poet Francis Thompson wrote a famous poem called Hound of Heaven. It likens the person running away from God, being pursued by a great dog, almost like the Hound of the Baskervilles. Very powerful, epic poem. This is what it says. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And under running laughter, I hid from him. Jesus offers the gift of sanctuary for a runaway world. The third course, the third promise, is the promise of security. Verse 40, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know the New Testament is full of references to hope and eternal security. There are five in John chapter 6 alone, there are five. We often lack assurance, but here are promises, not from a professional cleric, or even the Archbishop of Canterbury, but from the lips of Jesus himself. These words of Jesus encourage us to move from optimism to certainty. We live in a society which is frightened of certainties. The uncertainty principle from science has invaded our total thinking. It's invaded our culture. It's invaded our way of life. We know that being a Christian is having a secure and permanent relationship with the Lord Jesus. And that relationship is typified and illustrated and analogized in the New Testament in terms of marriage. This week is National Marriage Week. Did you know that? And being a Christian, as we know, is like, it's just like being married, Christ and the church. Now, I brought something with me this morning. I'm into visual aids following Laham Harry's episodes two weeks ago. Um, I brought this. Hands up, all those who got one of these. There we are. I hope good. Well done. Right. This is um, dated 1969. The year for Margaret and I, the earth moved. A man walked on the moon. And if you said to me, Ken, think about the security of the relationship with Jesus Christ. Ken, are you married? I think so. Are you married? I hope so. Are you married? Sometimes. Are you married? Ish. Paul writes, I know whom I have believed. And that certificate, and you have them too, many of you, and that wedding photo reminds me of a transaction that took place. As we say in the wedding service, a vow and covenant they have made this day. Sometimes we find that people drift off. The thief of the runaways, for example. My experience is the people drift off and we often talk about people losing their faith I think more often people haven't lost their faith they've lost the battle of the will today maybe it's a time for you and I to renew that covenant of the will the promise of security 
And finally, the promise of sharing. Verse 58. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Again, earlier, verse 56, Jesus said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. We say in our in the scripture and in our liturgy sometimes, the bread that we break, is it not a participation or a sharing in the body of Christ? Communion is a wonderful visual aid. Uh, it's not a magic process like that. No magic fingers. It's a picture of that relationship with Jesus Christ, his gift to us and our relationship with each other, our gift to each other. We share symbolically and spiritually with Jesus and with one another. And we come as a hungry crowd. And as we say, we feed on them in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Four promises, four gifts, four courses on the menu on that day and the following one. I'm beginning to finish now. They say here we're coming into land. I don't know about you, some of them seemed a long time on final approach. Um, this is not an a la carte menu. It's not a menu that you just pick this and that, etc. You know, I've got news for you. Three weeks ago in the Times, the news is this. It's probable that Woolworths is coming back to the high street. Apparently the German company are going to take over the Wilco, some of the Wilco stores. But this is not a Woolworths sweet counter with a pick and mix of what suits and what we find palatable. And when Jesus said he was a bread of life, he offered these three fundamentally satisfying things. His gift to us today, our hunger for meaning and purpose, our hunger for life after death, our hunger for forgiveness. The great secular humanist, humor, uh, humanist Margarita Lasky of the 20th century said this, the thing that I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. And then with enormous pathos she said, I have no one to forgive me. Just reflect on that while I shuffle my page. And who qualifies here? Only those who are hungry. And my message for all of us today is don't leave the bread of life untouched on some spiritual shelf in the corner of our lives. But to take him today, his gift, the bread of life. Amen. We're going to respond to that now. We're going to do it this way. I'm just asking you, in, in the silence of this building, to sit quietly and bow your heads. No call to the front. God works with us just where we are and where we're seated. Maybe you'd like to have a quiet prayer about the bread of life. Maybe it's someone in your family who's a runaway and seeking sanctuary. Here's the silence to bring that to the Lord today.